this is the point is that we are vast grand souls that are spread throughout the universes okay there are universes within universes called the multiverse and there are multiverses within multiverses that is called the omniverse that is everything the container of all so we can't even begin to understand the complexity of this system this is a dimensional material world that we as souls are able to come into so here's what i know to be true that every single human is born a biological being with spirit fusion potential welcome to the spirit sisters podcast my name is Karina Machado and I'm the author of Spirit Sisters, Women's True Stories of the Paranormal. In this podcast, I'll revisit the women behind my most unforgettable stories and unearth new tales to chill, intrigue, astound and offer hope. You'll hear first-hand accounts of ghostly visitors, near-death experiences, premonitions, hauntings and love more powerful than death. Whatever you believe about the afterlife, I invite you to open your minds and hearts as ordinary women reveal their extraordinary encounters. You're listening to Spirit Sisters. I'm your host, Karina Machado. I'm so glad you're joining me today to hear part one of my conversation with Maria Lupita Gurule on the phone from New Mexico, USA. Maria Lupita is mother of two young adults aged 23 and 21. Both her pregnancies were life-threatening for mother and child. Birthing her firstborn 10 weeks early, Maria Lupita had an out-of-body experience that sparked several miraculous events. Then, two and a half years later, on the 5th of June in the year 2000, on the day her second child was born, Maria Lupita died from complications of anaesthesia before surgery and was revived. It's estimated that she was out for approximately eight minutes, but it was as though she spent a lifetime on the other side. She returned, yet all of life as she knew it was different. In this episode, you're going to hear about her NDE in amazing detail. Everything from the golden presence whose love and beauty Maria Lupita struggled to convey, the flame of fire in the Blessed Mother's heart that Maria Lupita understood was the God center of the omniverse, the major revelation in her life review, and the pool of liquid light she was immersed in to heal in afterward, and so much more. At the end, Maria Lupita tells us about the grand experiment, which is life, and the purpose of it, as she was shown in her near-death experience. More than two decades have passed since Maria Lupita's NDE, but only now does she finally feel ready to share with the public what was shown and told to her on the other side. Today, Maria Lupita has dedicated her life and energy to healing the soul to help others create their best life. She's a tea trainer for Stanford University's self-management education programs, holds certifications in a multitude of healing techniques and modalities, as well as in the arts of interpersonal communication, dispute mediation and medical support hypnotherapy. Maria Lupita also has eight years of training, initiations and apprenticeship in shamanic healing. She describes herself as a mystic, a spiritual reader and a counsellor. 
I'm honoured to present part one of my conversation with Maria Lupita Gurulay, sharing today what she's learned about living through dying. You might want to have pen and paper handy for this one. Welcome to Spirit Sisters, Maria Lupita. It's a joy to have you here. Thank you, Karina. Thank you for having me. This is such an incredible opportunity and I thank you with my whole heart. Oh, well, thank you. This is just a delight for me as well. Now, I have already given the listeners quite uh, an introduction on you, but just to sum up, you have spent the last 21 years integrating a profound near-death experience, which took place in the year 2000 while you were in labor with your second child. We're going to hear about that in a lot of beautiful detail, but before we do, could you please take us back to a point just a couple of years prior to that? when you were giving birth to your first child and you had an out-of-body experience that was, it seems to me, listening to it or having heard you tell it, a kind of a taster for what was to come two years later. That's absolutely correct. Now, I, I don't know what it is about my physical body, but I had a really difficult time with both of my pregnancies. Uh, my first pregnancy was with my son, Mateo, and uh, he was actually, I went into preterm labor with him. Um, I ended up with a condition called toxemia, which is pretty common, preeclampsia is also known by, but it turned into a condition called HELP, H-E-L-P, uh, H-E-L-L-P, I believe. And what it does is my entire system was shutting down. Like my body could not uh, really uh, maintain and sustain itself while I was creating an entire other human being. So I was put on early bed rest and I was only able to hold on to him for just a couple of more uh, weeks when I was put on bed rest just right after my third trimester began. And he was uh, a 10 and a half weeks early, so two and a half months. Oh, gosh. Um, and he was only three pounds, one ounce when he was born. And it was during his labor that, um, well, I'll, I'll, I'll digress for a moment. Just prior to that, I had a dream with my grandmother. My grandmother, who was my father's mother. And in that dream, I recall her telling me, and it was more than a dream. It is, in our dreams, it is really a place where we are able to connect with our loved ones, where our consciousness is able to be relaxed enough and they you know, are able to push through time and space to be able to connect with us. It's one of those dreams that is so vivid that, that is even more lifelike. And I, in that dream, she was uh, forewarning me and telling me that I, I was going to be okay and that he was going to be okay. I knew that I was having a boy and uh, for me just not to be afraid. And so I held on to that. And so fast forward yet again, I'm in the hospital and uh, they tried to stop his labor. And then he ended up in distress and I ended up in distress. And then we were rushed uh, to our only level three trauma hospital in their state uh, so that he could be born. Uh, it was on Christmas Eve of all times and he wasn't due until practically the end of February. And so uh, this was just a massive uh, emergency. So when I was in labor with him, I all of a sudden um, 
was just in a massive state of distress. There was just so much chaos around me. And I remember this distinct feeling of everything just going quiet and everything just... It was no longer there. I was instantaneously on the other side, if you will. And I had this, there was a loving being that was there. It was pure light and it was an instantaneous, you are not to be here. Your son needs you. And so with that very in, uh, experience alone, it was an instantaneous dropping into my body. And right at the moment that it happened, there was a nurse on one side telling me to take a break in between the, the labor pushes. And there was another nurse on the other side that said, no, he has to come out right now because he was in the birth canal. He was so tiny that he had dropped uh, into the birth canal. And when they drop into the birth canal, they don't uh, receive oxygen. So there's, there's deprivation of oxygen and it's a critical moment. So he had, they, they were unprepared uh, for his birth at that very moment. And so as I came to uh, instantaneously into my body, I heard the nurse on the left uh, explaining, and I had just read, you know, in the book, I was preparing as a young mother what to expect while you're expecting. And I had just read this section about what's called intrauterine growth retardation, which is IUGR, and all of these different things that was like preparing me for what was about to happen, mm. which was his birth. And so when I dropped back into my body, uh, he it was an instantaneous, almost like a a burst of life force, if you will. And I dropped back into my body. I was able to um, you know, to deliver him, and but he had to be resuscitated. So he um, actually had to be worked on quite extensively. So as I am on the labor, the delivery table, um, the, 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 the delivery bed, if you will, I recall uh, just looking at him at a distance and he was blue as could be mm. and frantic doctors and neonatal specialists everywhere just trying to get him uh, to, to, to come to. And in that moment, I felt myself cradled. It was an energy that I can't explain. Like I was still in that bridged place of where I had just popped out of. And I now recognize what, what that was, that loving energy, that loving essence and being was none other than Our Lady. I didn't recognize it in the moment at the time and didn't really fully understand that until the two and a half years after when I had my daughter. But in that moment, when my, through my son's birth and my having my out of a body experience it was and it was out of body because it wasn't a full it wasn't a death experience but people who do have the OBEs or out of body are capable of having those same sensations and feelings as if it was an, a near death without having the full experience so I was instantaneously on the other side and then instantaneously back and that was the what set into motion an entire course of events that kind of prepared me for her mm. uh, two and a half years later. So that was, as you explained, a taste of what was to come. Yes. Wow, that's so beautiful how you described it. And I know that our audience is going to be intrigued by your references to Our Lady. And I know 
the divine feminine principle known in many different cultures by many different names uh, as the, well, we, we can call her Our Lady, the Blessed Mother, that that is such a particular aspect of your experience and it's one that I'm so interested and intrigued to hear more about, Maria Lubita. Yeah, that would be beautiful. Now, as you say, so that triggered, well, a course of events that I know that you've described before as miraculous Tell us about some of these events that took place in the lead up to the major act, the NDE. Yes. So after my son's birth, he was born on Christmas Eve um, and he was in the neonatal intensive care unit uh, in the hospital for over a month. Uh, I brought him home weighing four pounds, one ounce. And uh, through that course of time, I, I knew that something had happened. Something was different with me. Something had been instantaneously opened that I did not quite fully understand. And so what was happening with me as I was with my son, I'll, I'll explain the first miraculous thing. So because of my condition, I was not able to be with my son immediately after his his birth. He was in the neonatal intensive care unit, and I was also in an intensive care unit for about three days. And um, I was stationed in the hospital. Uh, this was at the University of New Mexico Hospital in Albuquerque, New Mexico, and there was a um, a nurse's station directly across from me and I was the only one in the room it was supposed to be a double room but I was just crying so much and bawling my eyes out and just really concerned and worried for myself as well as my child and and my eyes were closed and as my eyes were closed I recall this calm feeling and when your eyes are closed, you can see, you know, even light pierce through it. So uh, you can get a sensation with eyes closed that there's a light that comes into the room. Well, I experienced that because I had been crying. My eyes were closed. And when I saw the light come in, I assumed that the door had opened. And so in the room was this beautiful older woman. Her skin was incredible. She had this glow about her that I can't explain. And for the first time in I don't know how many hours, I had actually stopped my sobbing and kind of relaxed. And she came to me and she held my hand and she told me that no te preocupes, todo está bien. That don't worry, everything is going to be okay. That he is going to be okay. Well, I didn't, in my distress, didn't really put two and two together at the time that the things that she was telling me were so appropriate that was all about my reassurance, about giving me a sense of peace. She then asked if I wanted communion. So I, in that moment, she prayed with me. She prayed um, the Hail Mary with me. We prayed in Our Father, and she did give me communion. And so my background is born and raised, um, you know, Catholic. And so that was super important for me. And in that moment, I felt that sense of calm and something completely wash over me. There was such a sense of peace. And in that, I knew, yes, he's, he is going to be okay. I, I didn't have the fear with me. There was something lifted off of me. And so a moment later, and she held my hand more and I could just see that I can still picture her in my mind's eye. And then, you know, a moment later, she was gone. 
well, not even maybe two minutes had passed and the nurse walks in and I finally stopped crying and she asked how I was doing. And then I asked her, I said, you know, I didn't get to ask the lady's name. Um, and she looks at me kind of odd, didn't answer me. She goes to the foot of my bed where my chart was and she looks at my chart pretty intently. And then she looks at me again. I said, you know, I just wanted to thank her that she really helped me. And so again, the lady looks at me at me again and just says, you know, hold on a second. And she walks out of the room. Well, as the door opens, I can see the nurse's station. And the nurse was at the nurse's station. It was another nurse. And so my nurse that had just checked on me went to this other nurse's station. And she you know, was there for quite a while and the door closed behind her. And I thought, well, that is so strange. So I thought maybe she was going to go get the lady or go ask her name. So she comes back in with the other nurse and both of them are saying, you know, are you feeling okay? And they said, I'm fine. You know, then they had said, you know, are you still having these effects? Are you feeling any dizzy? And I'm saying, no, everything's fine. And they said, well, nobody has come in or out of your room where I've been at the nurse's station for I don't know how long, you know, for at least the last half hour doing her charts or whatever it was that she was doing. And she stated that no one had come in or out of my room. And I knew in that moment what it was. And I knew that that was a, a, a visitation, an apparition, uh, this feeling that I had momentarily during that birth was also with me in that moment and I did not worry and uh, that was at three that was about three days after his birth so this was December 28th is when that occurred and so that was the first of many different experiences that I would have with and around my son and so that was again three days after his birth and then so I'll fast forward a little bit that I am now released out of the hospital and my son is now still in his incubator. Um, he is just being able to, to grow. He was what they called a feeder grower that because I had my condition, they were able to give me a series of steroid shots to help his lungs develop while he was in utero. And that was, that saved him. And so of course, when he was born, he, he needed a lot of intensive care. He was in his, uh, his incubator. So as I was sitting next to his incubator, and at this time, I'm 25 years old. Uh, I had just had the experience, you know, of, of the apparition in the room. And I was sitting next to his incubator. Skin touch for newborns is super critical. So, but I was not able to do that with him. So instead, uh, I was only able to insert my hands into his incubator, and um, they have very fine skin, even very fine hair called manuga hair on his body, because that's the way they are growing within the womb. And so he was cocooned in this healing space. And because I could not hold him, I wanted him to feel my warmth. My intention was to send this loving energy through my hands so that he could feel it. And in that moment, I was in a state of prayer. My hands hovered over him, and I felt this wave of energy just flow right through me in a way that I had never felt or experienced before and not as strong since. And suddenly, in my mind's eye, in, in my vision, with my eyes closed, 
I could see the entire anatomy of his little physical body, all three pounds of him. And at this point, he was he had dropped to two pounds, seven ounces. So he weighed less than two and a half pounds. And he was itty bitty. So my his entire hand could wrap around my finger. Uh, that's how tiny he was. And he just needed to grow. So in that space and in my mind, I could see his anatomy and I could see this golden light, like this infusing with him and being infused into his head. I could see his lungs. I could see his the, the bone structure, the muscular structure, I could see within his body as well, like externally. And suddenly I felt this magnetic pull from my hands down my arms, like an electric energy. And it was like this transference to him. And I was in such a state of, of deep prayer and, and seeing this in my mind that I had no idea what had happened or what had occurred and that I suddenly understood what it was as I was, <laughs> I don't know how else to say it, but that was the first experience I had had with healing energy. I was in such a place praying to our lady to save my child, you know, just to allow him to grow, just to make sure that he was okay. Oh, he had that John Dance and he had a couple of other things that, that he had to overcome. Um, so that was my biggest concern for him, where he was supposed to be within my womb. So he, oh, he was at a distance in Albuquerque from where I lived at the time was about a good, you know, hour and 20 minutes away. So when he was, when I was released in the hospital, from the hospital, I would drive home every single night. Uh, they would, they told me that I would not be able to nurse him because my body would, was in shock from actually having the birth, but I defied all odds and all against all, uh, all thoughts and, and what they told me that I could do was possible. I actually did. So I was able to somehow with my body, uh, so even so early on, my, my our bodies are miracles. Mm. I was able to produce. I was able to. I could not nurse him. I could not nurse him until he was two months old. But I was able to produce, and that I I know had everything that he needed. The antibodies. So I was able to feed him uh, while he was in the hospital. He had what's called a gavage, which is a tube inserted down his nostril passage into his belly. And it was this microscopic little doses that they would give him at a time. And so I was able to bring him home exactly one month and one day from his birth, which was still a month and a half before he was supposed to be born. I ended up even having a, a gallbladder attack while I was born. I mean, while he was, I was pregnant with him. And so I had um, a surgery. Um, I had my gallbladder removed right around the time that he actually would have been born. So I, my body was in distress and everything had happened and that's what it had come culminated to. Uh, so that was the first of many different experiences of healing and other things and um, that I was able to see, but it began out of the necessity and out of the love and the desire for the survival of my child. That is what spontaneously brought it forth. Yes, it sounds like your love, your your prayers, your just desperate love 
kind of a fierce, desperate love was like a a gateway to to something immense that allowed this this healing that is not of our world to come through you. How beautiful! Absolutely, that that is beautifully said, Karina. I have I I have struggled with trying to put that into words exactly, but that is exactly what it that I felt something move through me that was able to be transferred to him that allowed this flow in such an incredible way. That is so beautiful. And there's also the sense that not only the healing came through, but also, and as will will be shown when you we, when you go on to tell us about the NDE, but also what came through was the other world itself and this woman, this apparition who, by the sounds of it, was in every sense a flesh and blood person in, in your room at that moment. You, I don't think you had a sense, or did you, Maria Lupita, that she was an angel or did you just believe she was perhaps a chaplain or somebody caring? What did you think? I thought she was a. I thought she was a chaplain. I thought she was because I know that there are Eucharistic ministers, you know, within the Catholic Church that are able to give communion to the sickly, and so that's what I assumed that she was. And so when I was told that there were, had been no one physical that had actually had come in or out of the room, I knew that to be in that moment an, an angelic apparition, like an in full embodiment, but in, in physical form. So I would take that as an earth angel. And I've had since then a couple of experiences with that where, where human, where it seems to be in a human form that, that there is like a, a, a moment of grace where this embodiment is allowed and has been able to come through. And it happened to me on two occasions, uh, that being the first. And then I had a, another one, you know, sometime thereafter when I did finally recognize that that was an angel embodied. So an earth angel, I call them those moments where they're profound and you know it to be something other, otherworldly as you described it. I could feel it but I did not recognize it in the moment when it first occurred. Only now in retrospect, can I identify and be able to say, wow, that's what it was. But in the moment of the experience of it, I, I, all I felt was the calmness come over me. I felt the effect of the presence rather than, than trying to dissect what it was. And only afterwards, the realization came to Okay. And then the second experience that you had with an angelic embodied presence, would you like to tell us about that now or does that fit into a, a later part of your story? Well, and actually it does fit in. It, it, it's interesting because it actually comes through also with my son. And this is the thing that I recognize that that first experience, it was as though our souls were in passing, myself and my sons, that he, that in those moments that there was the, the possibility of neither of us having survived his birth. So through that moment and my instantaneous return and then through him, his, his resuscitation immediately from birth. It, was, it just astounds me that that so so much of the, what I experienced was with him. I would experience him and I would see him and I would think, oh my goodness, who is this child and who am I to be his mother? 
he was itty bitty as i said he was i think he was just wanting to be born and come into this world so fresh and so early on that he just wanted to get it over with he was <laughs> he was speaking at 10 months old so he's two and a half months early and he started his first words at about 10 months wow. you know small <laughs> sentences and he was about a year old when he was speaking. He he looked to be about the size of, you know, what would be a six-month-old at a year, and he's speaking. So we would go to restaurants, and people would stare, and they would want to, you know, understand. And there was just this soul connection with this child. I knew that he was the soul being that was in placed in my charge. And so the second experience, and I, I woke up one time. Uh, we did have. Uh, I'll fast forward, but this is this this is after the birth of my daughter. Okay. But I'll it, it is appropriate in the moment. My son, uh, he still doesn't hardly sleep to this day. He's very unique being. So he would he was awake constantly, and he would only learned how to self soothe. He would have many apparitions, and he would have experiences. And through him, it was as though he came into life to guide me. To, to open up these this world of experiences that I had sensed and touched and, and had forgotten from my own childhood. And here I am with my child. And I was very, wow, who is he and who am I to be? Because he would speak of things that I was only learning as an adult. I wanted to understand about death. I wanted to understand about life. And so one morning he comes into this room and he I, he's quite literally four years old. And he tells me, Mom, I, I couldn't sleep. And I said, why, Hito? And he says that the woman came into my room from the ceiling and woke me up. The light woke me up. And I thought to myself, and at first he did say the light woke me up. And I thought, well, did I leave the hall light on? And then as he continued to say, he said it was her light that she came through uh, the ceiling and that had lit up the room. And he just looked at me with these eyes and he said, Mama, was it real? At four years old, and I am not, I am, I, I am not exaggerating in this experience. So I, I say from my ears, you know, to God's heart, speaking the truth of this. Yes. And so what he told me was that, I, I, I knelt down. I, I was I was at his level and he stood and I asked him, I said, Hito, what did it feel like? And he just closed his eyes and he held his hands to his like chest and it was as if his head was turned towards the heavens. And he had this expression on his face and all he said, Mama, she was beautiful. And I said, Well then what does your heart tell you? And he said, It was real. And so in that moment, through him, and then since then, I had heard, like, I would hear things through his baby monitor and, mm. you know, little things like that. And um, they were profound and extraordinary and overwhelming. But those actually did, you know, did happen. And I had one uh, later on for myself. Uh, but those were the two intertwined with that experience. So I know that he himself, you know, being born I cannot imagine being, well, I can now, but being born in death, out of death. So yes. like at the very moment of your birth, you are revived. So what I experienced, you know, at 27, almost 28 with my daughter, he experienced 
instantly in the moment of his arrival on this earth plane. So he opened up for me something that through him and trying to help him and understand our experience tied together opened me, mm-hmm. which that kind of leads to the, the near-death experience with my daughter. Well, please take us there. And it sounds like it was amidst the beauty and the awakening of this precious blessed child coming to you and opening up all this this new world to you. It was also flesh and blood difficult. You had crisis, you had a body that needed to recover, you had the gallbladder surgery not long after, you had the stress of driving to and fro the hosp- from the hospital to visit your little preemie baby. There, I can't imagine that must have been incredibly stressful for you as well. Enormously enormously and I had in my dream with my grandmother I had two children which after the birth of my son I was told for all intents and purposes you should not have any more children and so I I I had a crisis prior to her birth it was an extraordinary experience that I was probably the most traumatic thing that I had been experiencing in life, massive life traumas, and as as people do. And I did I did not know if I could have the courage or you know, to be able to go through that. I was pregnant with her at the time, and so I I there was a lot of shifting, a lot of changing. As you said, I had my child now two and a half years old had lots of experiences through him and it was this massive opening. What happens when when people open, it sends ripples through their life of looking at things that know that do not fit their life. So because I had that instantaneous out of body other side experience without without the benefit of the understanding, but yet the opening, I did not know how to deal with it. So through my son, being with Mateo, helping him kind of gave me that initial foundation. And so I was going through a crisis. I was pregnant. Uh, When I discovered that I was pregnant, uh, they did not want me to have her. Um, They wanted, they instantaneously sent me to a neonatal intensive uh, specialist, uh, so um, for prenatal care uh, so that they could ensure that I wouldn't have the same uh, condition called help. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I did not know, I, 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 I'll be honest, I was losing faith. I, I did not want, I did not know if I could survive what I was going to endure. At the time, when I, in retrospect, it was one of the most horrific things, one of the most challenging things in all intents and purposes and all, all around. And so with her, I, they were, I was able to hold on to her longer. She was also premature, but in, for, she was only four, four weeks, almost. Uh, almost three. And so thank goodness that they gave me a series of medications that helped me hold on to her in utero. Um, I was able to, so she was able to grow further along, but it did get to the point where she also was in distress. And so they had scheduled an induction. And so I, this was on a Friday, I had the stress test and I was scheduled to be, have the delivery on Monday. 
And because of the difficulty in both of my pregnancies, I did have the toxemia with both. I was going into that condition called help. Both of them were in distress and it was determined that absolutely not another would my body be able to, to hold or maintain. So we scheduled a tubal ligation. And so that's what ended up happening. I had her completely opposite of Matteo's birth. Hers was so peaceful. Her, my mother was in the room with me. She got to witness her birth. My husband was also in the room, well, my ex-husband now, but my husband at the time was also with me um, and were both there in the room at the time. And her birth was peaceful. I had an epidural so that, um, you know, she again, peaceful birth. But they kept the catheter within my spine because of the scheduled tubal ligation that we everybody knew I was going into. I had signed all the waivers. I knew all of the risks that were involved. I had already had the epidural. There was no problem. And so as scheduled, uh, they, the anesthesiologist comes into the room and she gives me the dosage of uh of the, um, the spinal block. So the difference between an epidural is exactly that. It's just outside of the spinal uh, column. And then with a spinal block, it's inserted within the spinal, the column. It, and it, what it does is supposed to block all of the physical sensations, the nerves from that point in the spine down. Well, one of the complications is either too fast injection or too high of a dosage. And I believe it might have been both. Mm-hmm. I was being, the last thing I remember was being given the dosage of anesthesia through the catheter in the back and all of a sudden feeling very dizzy and things starting to just, I, I could hear like sound going off in the distance. It was like though the room was starting to fade away. And I remember the anesthesiologist asking me, Ms. Martinez, are you okay? And I remember just, I don't even know if I answered. They were wheeling me from the birthing room where my husband and my mom was. My mom was holding my daughter. My daughter represents for me this incredible life that I felt that because at that moment, I thought my mom has her. Now I know she's going to be okay. It's like I knew that I wasn't going to survive. It was like I I knew that, that like, okay, she's going to be okay. No matter what, she's going to be okay. And I remember the, the, the room fading and being wheeled out of the birthing room to be taken to the operating room for the surgery. That's the last thing I remember is being wheeled out of the room. It's from my physical body. The next thing that I experienced was being, my awareness was in the operating room and just being wheeled into the operating room, but from an entirely different perspective. I was not in my body. I was upside down, hovering in the ceiling, watching downward. I was above myself, looking down, and I had no connection to what was happening whatsoever. I didn't care that I had just given birth. I didn't care that I had another child. I was detached from the, what was happening and, and relieved even. I had no awareness or kind of care for worry what was happening. I could see their franticness. I can see them moving things around. I remember something falling over because they crashed into it. And the last thing I remember in my awareness was this feeling of, of floating above myself, looking downwards, 
And then as, as if I started to turn over, as if I was turning over. And then now my perspective was that of the ceiling. And from the ceiling, it was like floating upwards. And it didn't feel like a tunnel. It just felt like all of the room started to completely go white. But it started from a pinpoint in that direction. So it felt like motion, but I didn't go anywhere. It was like the room was consumed with this brightness, this light. It was the brightest of the bright that you could ever possibly imagine. It was like... If you can imagine the light of the sun at its brightest times a million infinite, infinitely, it, it had vibration. I, I didn't understand what that was at the moment, but it, like I could hear what I thought was singing or instruments, but there was no sound. And it, like the colors seemed to move, but, and, and I could hear the sound. It was as though it was overcome. It was as though, Mm, I don't think I've ever described it this way, but as though whatever barrier that withholds those two worlds together were removed. Although I felt lifted, I didn't have the motion tunnel, the, 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 the movement through space, other than it was meeting me where I was at simultaneously. And this light had sound. Uh, it, it, it was as though I could hear instruments and singing, but there were no people, there were no instruments, but I could hear it. And I, there was color with movement that I could, I could feel the color and I could hear the color and I could feel the, the sound, this vibration everywhere. And it was this overwhelming feeling of love. That why we have one word to describe love is beyond me because it was, it is the, it, I've never felt anything like it that powerful since then. Only in these, I do want to clarify that I have my, my near death experience is very different because I still somehow bridge there. I can now access that, but I, and I now understand what that is, but in the moment, when I, when I was feeling it initially, I, I had never felt that ever. And I was, became very aware of a, of a presence before me. In this presence, it was like this golden color. It was a, it was a feeling that like I, oh, it, it's indescribable. I, I, I lack the words to express this, but I knew that it was an energy. I knew it was a presence and a being. I didn't see the face entirely, but I felt it. It was as though their own brightness that emanated from their own beingness blocked my vision of what it was. As the base is the way that I could describe it, but I felt it. And and it was the more that I would was in the presence of this being, this I could begin to discern what and who it was and it was none other than the blessed mother i i could feel this golden light and this the central point that i could see that i that was fire 
it had this fire and flame. And I began to focus on this area and I understood that it was her sacred heart. And, and as I looked and focused through this flame, it was literally a fire, a flame of fire that was contained inside of what was where a human would have their heart. And this flame was extraordinary and exquisite and it danced with all colors and all light. And I was so drawn to it that as I looked at it, I could see beyond her and it grander than her. I was as though there were two flames that were intertwined. So two different colors. One was like a reddish hue and another was a slightly blue. And in the center was this white this incredible white where everything emanated from all this color I knew was this pinpoint from that center of her space. And what I understood is that beyond her was basically I could describe it as the Christ consciousness. I could get a sense of, I'm not, I'm not going to say Jesus, um, although in my mind's perception, I could get a sense of that, what it was, but they were entwined that it through the heart it was as though they were separate beings that held together in unity in this heart with this red flame and the blue flame and this white center and the more that i continued to focus on this center point of this heart of flame what it looked like and as i was peering through it that that pinpoint of white where everything was emanating from I also felt like it was at a distance. What I, I, I now have begun to call it, what I now call it, the God center of the universe or the omniverse. I knew that that was like the point of origin, like the, the point of singularity, the big bang, whatever, whatever word, you know, it doesn't matter. It was the energy of it. And I knew that although it was at a distance, microscopic i knew that it also contained everything it was as though being able to see the two sides of everything a pinpoint but yet knowing that it contained everything and it was held inside of these two intertwined dancing flames and then with her and in that moment i i i was just Oh my gosh, I want to take a pause there because that that in and of itself is so much. <laughs> oh, I'm just mesmerized, absolutely mesmerized as you're so beautifully describing it. I'm sure you're taking us all there with you into the center of those intertwined flames and what a journey. Thank you. <laughs> it's amazing. You're so welcome. Well, and this is the, the thing is, as I describe it to you, I'm in this space and my eyes are closed literally right now that when I, I can revisit that space and get, you know, but a smidge of the energy of it and, and, and to get a sense of it, it, it forever impressed in time. And from that, from that moment and understanding what it was, I wanted to be there forever. I didn't, I didn't want to, I didn't, I could have, I it felt as though I was there in that space for an eternity and then suddenly realizing oh my goodness 
like I, I did have conscious awareness of what had finally occurred. I had awareness of, oh my gosh, I, I, I'm here. Where's my, my, my child? But at that moment, I still, I had no care, no worry. There was still, I had questions. I, I was in that space and I just wanted to remain. And in that moment, I wasn't dejected at the way that I was in my first original with my son. Like, like you got to go back instantaneously that I was allowed when I recognize is that from the bridge of my, of the birth of my two children, one, you know, that was that both of them actually critical. My son born the possibility of my losing. I recognize that that out of body, what I call a pop out was a moment when I was in her presence and then sent back. And when two and a half years later, it was as though there was no space, no time, no lapse. And that I was instantaneously back there with her. Although in human terms, you know, two and a half years times lapsed, but it was as though I had just popped out of my body with the birth of my son, seeing her being sent back and then popped out and then returned as though it had just happened the first time. But this time I was allowed to stay. This time I was allowed to be there and to be given the experience. I did not want to return. I did not want to be alive. I, again, I felt very much at peace with my mom holding my daughter, thinking that I'm okay I, because I, 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 I was now home. And then at that moment, in that loving space, with the questions and the curiosities, I was very aware of, of being given this reassurance that I would be with her again because I, as I was, I, I could feel like an apprehension of I was going to be taken from her, that I was going to, and I, I misunderstood thinking that I was going to be returned to my body. But instead, it was now on the other side, ah, it is, it is not physical material, but yet there is form. Anything and everything that we could think of it was, if things have structure, but it's, that it's it's round. It's not what we think. That there's a transparency with with thought alone that we could maneuver. And so, as I was having these questions of her, I was, you know, reassured that I would return. But there was awareness of a presence of these other beings, and these other beings were with me at that moment to help me understand what had occurred. And so, I was taken from that initial vast. What, what I, I I don't know what else to call it that that central part of heaven that that God centered that that place and then to seeing the other functions of the other side where souls are I began to see from a distance and recognize that there were not like buildings not like a city but I could get a sense of purpose of these locations and that through our thinking of it, we could have traverse these places. And I was, ta- I want to say that I was taken to, um, to an area, but it, I wasn't taken. It was almost as like, like, um, an instantaneous arrival where, where space moves, but you also move with it. It's a, it's a, a communion with, with intention. 
so that just a thought alone, there's movement and you arrive, almost like a dematerialization and a rematerialization, mm-hmm. but movement still. And that was profound to me. And I was enthralled with how all of this was happening and very aware that from a distance, seeing other souls and that they no longer had, I didn't see family. I didn't, I wasn't greeted by loved ones. I didn't have that, but I could see these orbs of, of multicolored lights that I knew were souls and that the colors of these orbs represented their growth that we all have a unique color and I could see myself that I I could recognize but it was like this bluish hue um almost like a white but blue a baby blue but like the whitest of the part I maybe the best way to say it is the hottest part of a fire Mm, it's the color that I was and I was taken to this place but in my in that place I still had like an awareness of my physical body, but I was this ball of light, which is strange. So I still like had an awareness of myself the way I looked in my physical body. And I was later explained because I was still attached to this incarnation, this physical body. And that's what I was there to understand. So I was taken to this facility, if you will, that looked like a platform. And it was as though I could step up onto this stage-like device. And it looked like a massive screen above me is the best way to describe it. And I was being shown different parts of my life, things that I had happened, things that were happening now, things that had not yet happened, and, and being guided to understand these different parts. And I was, it was very difficult because it felt like it it lasted for an eternity because you're reviewing an entire lifetime, but it feels instantaneous. I was being told and helping to understand how souls incarnate, the souls and the agreements that we have, what I was experiencing was my own choice. And that I did not comprehend because I thought, I could not have chosen these abuses, these traumas, this horrific abuse that had happened against me that how I, I couldn't understand. And so there was a lot of working with me. I was then taken to this place that felt like, and, um, and this was another place out after watching all of this review because I was so distraught. Like I, I still had too much of the human um, misunderstandings. And so I was taken to this other place and it felt like an infusion. It was like a medical place is the best way that I could describe it. Almost like an intensive care. I'll be very honest that when that happened, I was angry. I felt a storm rise up within me that that feeling of love and everything that I had first felt upon my arrival had gotten very dark and did not feel good. I I felt a lot of confusion in that place. And I, I, I was, well, I was furious. I was livid because I couldn't understand that I had chosen it. So from there being taken into that intensive care because I had, there was a lot that had been triggered up within me that was a stir and they could see that I had this, I there were distortions within my energy field 
because of my traumas. And they were able to assist me in restructuring that system. I don't know how else to describe it, but every single human, we have an energy body. There is an infusion of our soul energy into our physical body, through our chakra systems. And so when we have healing on the other side, this is possible and can be infused into our physical beings. Well, I experienced this on that side of our energy being worked, our soul energy. So it was this infusion of light, this infusion, but the light had knowledge. The light had wisdom. The light itself was the healing and clarity and things were, it was as though I was a puzzle that had been put together, had been misput together. With with traumas that had happened, and so I was being rearranged, if you will, and being restructured so that I could hold energy better. It was as though it, um, I was being inserted into a pool of what I now call liquid light. It was like a healing bath, completely submerged, and in this healing light bath, this liquid light was this effervescent, this, this feeling of, of dematerialization and, and then a restructuring. There was codes that were being inserted that I could see beings working with different, what I want to now call machinery, but it's, it's, it, I, it's so complex that it's, it's just light, but it had form. And I think it's just my way of trying to perceive, you know, in a human terms, of yes. the best analogy that I could give of what happens there. And so after a period of all of this healing, being able to go back to that that location, that that learning to review the, the my life again from a, a clearer place. And I then I began to recognize that I lost I don't want to say I lost, but I I released, that's a better way, I released more of the humanistic emotion that stays as an imprint within the energy field, but I was able to release that uh, through that healing bath, through that, that liquid light, so that I could come to myself. And from there, I was able to have greater discernment of what my life was about without the attachment of the emotion, the drama, and to the trauma. And so from understanding that, because I I haven't really shared this publicly, but as many people do, you know, we've experienced many horrific challenges in life. And that was what was happening, abuses and different things that I had experienced early on and other traumas and other things that that really paint a human experience. And so I was given the ability to release. That happens to all of us when we do finally cross. But I was given that opportunity to see it again from a clearer perspective and from that place, understanding absolute understanding. I could see how I chose it all prior to my incarnation. We don't choose it and as a no child ever hurt chooses to be hurt. You know, as a as a human child, they'd say, How dare you say that a child would choose to be hurt? No child does in the human aspect, but the soul does. 
the soul chooses the lessons in which we are to learn. On the other side, I was shown how we are these incredible energy beings, that this world is more of the, the, the illusion. And the, this is and the reason why is because our life ends here. When, when, when our body ceases, that is the experience of our incarnation. But that which is our consciousness, our soul is ever and eternal. That holds the pure consciousness, the full awareness and the experience of the life. And so I was able to experience it from that place of wisdom as my soul, without the human trauma and the drama, re-experiencing it. And then I understood from a completely different perspective. That is what I have had to fight to regain Mm -hmm. conscious awareness of through these 21 years. So that's what has been the struggle struggle of trying to remember. Okay, now this is the interesting word, to remember. Because up to that point, it was as though I my entire life had been dismembered. I had been dismembered, ripped apart, taken out, pieces removed so that I could remember myself, put myself back together together to remember these parts and so there that had happened over the course of a of a few instances on the other side if you will it was as though I had lived I was living my soul life on the other side you know able to experience it well what I understand is that it's like bridging time it's like if you're I'm able to go back and experience it but able to get the knowledge be able to receive it revisit it bring it within me and it's all there but it was such a struggle there all knowing but then having to to remember it in the physical form very easy so I felt like I had gained enough knowledge gained enough wisdom gained enough understanding so uh, understanding the life review I was also from there finally taken to this other place it's it is uh, it was like a field of 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 these rolling hills for as long as the eye could see that after having all this wise counsel of the review of the life of the understanding things that had happened things that were happening and the moment and things that were yet to come it was like I had this full, it was the ability to get a booster shot. You know, this is interesting that I say it and use it in those terms, mm-hmm. but to get a revisitation and a re-infusion of all of that knowledge that we all have before we're born and then be able to re-infuse it into my life mid-life. You know, that's the, that's the problem is that we're born, I saw this with my son, we're born with our grand soul, the purest and the strongest, most aware, and and our first at at our birth, and but it's when we have the smallest body, the least capability, we have complete reliance on others and are unable to communicate, but have absolute pure awareness at a soul level. So when you see the eyes of an infant and you can see all of the heavens as you look through their eyes, and sometimes people cannot even tolerate being able to like the stare of an innocent child peering right through them because there's something there that people may be able to sense. And so I was able to have that 
that reinfusion, be able to gain the knowledge mid well, a quarter of my life, I was, I was 27, 28 around this time. So at the quarter of my life, having this reboot, this recharge, because I didn't want to live. I did not want to be there. I was glad when it happened, to be very honest with you, because I did not want to endure what was yet to come. So they gave me an opportunity to have this infusion, to understand the soul's choice, to understand the the soul contract, the soul agreements that I had made with all the other souls in life, with my my children, with my husband, um, now ex-husband, my, my family, and every other soul that I was meant to meet. So from this place of this vast field, like grass that extended as far as the eye could see was like a field of flowers of every color but every color was unique so intertwined like a sea of blue mixed with a sea of green with a sea of reds and every single one a unique vibrant color in its own like thousands of them and it was understood that that it was they represented souls that I was supposed to touch and somehow impact, and I did not know how, and I couldn't even understand why or how me. How can one tiny microscopic little light affect a sea of lights? And from that space, it was a feeling of peace, a feeling of beauty. It was a feeling of knowing, a feeling of trust but also a slight feeling of apprehension of uncertainty of, but also mixed with excitement. Like you're about to take a trip, but you don't know what, you know, is yet to come because it's an adventure. That's the feeling that I had kind of mixed with, like, I don't want to, but I wanted to. So with that last experience of the field and then being able to be brought back, I was brought back to the original place that I was first when I first arrived it feels to me that instead of, it's going to sound strange when I say this, instead of arriving at the periphery, like the outer edges, it was as though I was taken straight to the center and being able to, I'm going to get really emotional when I say this, but like being because I didn't see the other souls, I didn't see family, I didn't recognize those, but I was taken instantaneously to that place. So I was, I had been returned to that place where I originally saw her. And this time I just saw her. I still could see the flame. I could still see the two. I could still see that, that God center that I know to be the very, that the vastness of everything. But it was her. And in that place, I could see what seemed to be like my mother in her soul form. And the Blessed Mother, but the Blessed Mother was holding my daughter, my Bianca, my daughter that had just been born. And I understood from the Blessed Mother to my mother, and then to me, and then to my own daughter. And in that moment, with my mom present, and with me before her, I was shown something else. I was shown that the the moment of my own birth that I almost was not born. And I understood in that moment of how my life is intrinsically tied to death, that I myself almost did not, was not born. 
But in my mom's experience, I had, um, I too, I was late actually. The opposite of my children, I was late. <laughs> I was three weeks late actually. My mom's water bag broke and I was shown from that place of the Blessed Mother that I had made a decision that in my mom's womb of whether to stay or not. This is the thing that amazed me is that I was shown that even prior to my birth, I was given choice to either remain. And I had found out through that experience, and I confronted my mom afterwards about it. Uh, and, and I'll explain that in a second. So what I realized through birth, through death, through my own, that I chose to be born and that I chose to go through that because there was a moment within my mom's womb that I had made the decision to survive. My mom's water bag had broke and I had a pop out. <laughs> I had my very, very, very first out of body, which was within my mom's womb, is what I was shown. And in that moment, I understood birth and death. And in that moment is when I said, oh, my God, my daughter. And in that moment is when I think I just, I of my own volition, and I didn't even have this, the gentleness of this separation or this beautiful, you know, farewell. It was, it was not, it was that the urgency of realizing <laughs> the divine feminine, my mom, the Blessed Mother, me, me being a mom, my role as a mom, and then my desire to be her mom. And in that moment, it was like I had rushed it. <laughs> it was as though, like I said, it wasn't a, a beautiful fading. It was like I, in that moment, just the thought of my daughter alone, oh my God, not on the day that my daughter is born will I die. And with that alone, I crashed into my body. But that moment alone, it was as though I had fallen 10 stories and crashed and shattered on the floor. I could feel the weight and the pain of my physical body, and it hurt like hell. I didn't want to be here. I, And in that moment, I felt that crashing, and I could not move. I was absolutely solidified. I was paralyzed, and then I panicked. I could not move. I could not. I and I and I had a panic moment, and I remember someone cradling what felt like a person, but I recognized in that moment that it was like the Blessed Mother, that she was cradling my head and whispering over me, "It's going to be okay." It was the last thing that I heard, and then my body began to convulse, like I couldn't. Actually, I did not convulse then in the moment. Then the only thing that began to was a stream of a, of a tear out of my right eye. That was the only no movement in my physical body, but just that one tear. And from hearing that, and I was being, I was intubated, which means that they had inserted the breathing apparatus into my throat and down into my trachea, down into my breathing so that I, they could breathe for me. So I had been intubated and they had also resuscitated me. And so from that experience is I was instantly back in my body. And after that, after they finally with, removed uh, the, the, the device, um, I felt like I was choking. I had such a difficult time coming out of the anesthesia. They did, once they stabilized me, they did continue with the surgery. I did have the tubal ligation. Once they stabilized me, that did 
continue after that tear. And then uh, after that had happened, this is the difficult thing is I was aware of, I was aware of the surgery finally after that. I, I knew that I was aware, I was aware of what was happening in the room. I was supposed to be aware. I was never given general anesthesia. It was an epidural. So I was never put under Oh my goodness. I tell yeah. you what, Maria Lupita, I have uh, listened to perhaps hundreds of near-death experience accounts and I don't think I've ever heard one as absolutely compelling uh, and as multi-layered as the one that you've just shared with us. So what, what an immense blessing to hear it from you. Thank you so much for sharing it. It is very Thank difficult <laughs> to know where to start to even begin to unpack that there is so much that we could talk about so many entry points i think the first thing i want to ask you about is the nature of time because as you mentioned when you began the to tell us about what happened it was as if you were still in the moment of the earlier out of body experience and no time had elapsed have i got that correct you are correct Time is, uh, um, time. It has been an extraordinary tool of mine through this entire experience of understanding time. Because of those experiences, I have experienced what I now call time loops. It's where there's two intrinsic moments of time that are interlinked together, where one has not yet occurred, but there's memory of it happening. So let me explain that. So out of my experience, from my son that pop out and then that instantaneous feeling a separation of two and a half years but it felt like it was instant time does not exist time does not exist in that space time is a function of this dimension of this realm we experience time from beginning to end and people will say well what do you mean time doesn't exist because of course we age but that is not what is intended. Time is simultaneous. Time is all happening instantaneously, simultaneously throughout all time. Everything that is happening, that could happen, that has ever happened and will happen is all happening at the same time. And that is one of the things that I was shown from the other side. All of this teaching, all of this infusion of energy has been a complete learning process for me to understand how to bring that knowledge and wisdom back to this plane. Time does not exist the way that we think that it does because everything exists simultaneously. So I've had experiences of what I call time loops, what I now recognize as time loops, because every single thing that again, can happen, will happen, ever has happened, is all occurring at the exact same time. When you heal a, a, a trauma or a particular event in a life within one, you heal them within all. I don't know how else to explain that. We think in terms, in our humanness, in terms of a beginning to end, in linear terms, in straight lines, okay? But it spirals. And not only does it spiral, it twists and intertwines and they intersect. We are in this vast universe that is a web of energy. And, and since my near-death experience and all of this and my learning, my seeking, my growing, understanding and studying um, quantum physics, 
So, you know, understanding how all of that actually does fit in and all tie in. And those are like one language to explain one one facet of the truth. There's everything is truth, but there's only science holds one part of it. Religion holds another part of it. Spirituality holds another part of it. And all of those parts together make the whole. So time does not exist the way that we think that it does. So I'll give an experience if I may yes, to, to help explain this. So I had strange experiences as a child. I, I did have intermittent things that occurred that I didn't understand. I am I'm just uh, the first daughter. I'm a born of, of four. My mom would have had six, but there was an and she had a a miscarriage. I confronted my mom. This is what I was going to say. After learning this, I confronted my mom and asked her about this experience, and I was able to share with her that I was shown that she had a miscarriage before me and a miscarriage after me, and I would have been her third. So. In that moment, as her third, as her first daughter, I was I had a lot of responsibility. So my mom and back in those days, you know, we would go to a park. There was once when I was at a park, I was taking care of my brother and my younger sister. They had a swing set there. I had an accident. I was trying to flip over on one of the swings, and it was too low to the ground. I had hit my head on the ground. I had hit my head so hard that I I felt very tired. I had a lot of, you know, dirt and rocks that were actually embedded into my scalp and I was bleeding and that my mom wasn't there because my mom was running errands. She had dropped us off at the park and I there I was by myself. And I remember a lady coming up to me and telling me to stay calm, to telling me to stay awake, that my mom was on her way, that I was going to be okay um, and to stay awake to get up and to walk around and make sure that I didn't fall asleep because I, I had put my head crying on, on, a, on a little bench that was there, a picnic table, if you will. Well, this lady had been helping me and she had, I don't know what had happened by the time I gathered my brother and my sister when my mom arrived to pick us up and I shared with her what, what had happened. She immediately took me to the bathroom and helped me clear out you know, the, the pebbles and whatnot. Well, that happened and saved me at that moment. A time loop occurred many, many years later. So in my growth and in my study, after my near-death experience, I am undergoing shamanic studies and we have what's called a journey. And in this journey, it's a meditation and it's the intention was to go to a place in time. And all of a sudden, I found myself in a park. I was in a park and I was in a familiar park that I was as a child. And I happened to come across, you know, this park bench and this table. And I remember in that journey seeing this young girl and I went to talk to the girl. Well, in my journey, I did not put two and two together that as a child, I remembered this woman walking upon me to help me. As an adult, I was experiencing within this journey being that woman walking up to a child and helping that child in that place of spirit. So I recognized in that moment it was as if I had created this loop in time and from that place of spirit had come upon myself as a child to help my chi- to help myself, my child self. 
And only outside of this journey, this this meditation, this incredible experience that was so real and so lifelike that I realized what had happened. That's what I call a time loop. And it happened spontaneously, not by my choosing. It happened. That is extraordinary. And it makes me think, I mean, what you've shared with us there just opens up so much. I'm thinking of what we have known as past lives, which seem to really be more accurately described as simultaneous lives. And I'm thinking also of the phenomenon of phenomenon of people seeing doppelgangers, <laughs> their own doubles. Yeah. Um, there's so much that is yeah. in there. And you also make me think of something, a thought that I've had that has been born of listening to near-death experiences share their stories. And it's a sense of the realness of that other place, the, the, the absolute clarity and the realness and the sense that that is the reality, that is the reality and the life review, this is something I've wondered, is the life review the life we're living now and then the real life though, our real life, is that over there in that that space of all love and light and understanding? Yes. I don't know if I'm making myself clear. (laughs) Yes, this is exactly what it is. So this is the this is the point is that we are vast grand souls that are spread throughout the universes. Okay, there are universes within universes called the multiverse. And there are multiverses within multiverses that is called the omniverse. That is everything, the container of all it is. So we can't even begin to understand the complexity of this system. That we, that it, this is a dimensional material world that we as souls are able to come into. So here's what I know to be true, that every single human is born a biological being with spirit fusion potential. I want to explain that. I've never explained this before, Karina. So this is something that is it is very, very deep and people I I don't wanna rip open paradigms too much, but this is I think honestly <laughs> too late. what is what the purpose is. <laughs> too late. <laughs> it is necessary. We need the paradigm shift. So some people may not be prepared to hear this and that's okay. They'll come upon this on their own due timing. But that is what this is. We are souls. We are souls that are born with potential for spirit fusion in a human being, in a body, a biological body. A biological body is completely capable of functioning on its own. It has its full systems, its anatomy, all of its biological functions fully intact. And when infants are born, a soul is also assigned and with the child. So it is an energy, the consciousness, the part that animates us, the soul. And so the soul is there infused as a, as an energy, like an awareness that is constantly watching. And we are most aware when we are first born. And again, smallest bodies, least capabilities, but most awareness. 
And as we go through our life, the purpose is, and the hope is that we, we as humans with this soul will, will have fusion that the soul will be nurtured within this child, that the child through its experience and its joy and its creativity could fully become embodied within life, being honored, nurtured, respected. Many people don't with children. They think that they are less than, thinking that they are to be molded when they are here to teach us we have the purest and the greatest of our capability when we have least as a soul physical ability and so we go through life in the hopes that we will connect with the soul inside of us understand that voice and that wisdom nurture it into full being with connection to it but we don't we actually harden it we, we, we tend to raise our children not understanding that they are in our charge and we are here to nurture and honor them. We have it so backwards. And so I got to have a different approach with my own children. It took a while to learn, but that is exactly it. We are souls that are here incarnate on multiple earth planes. Okay, so... There are other planetary systems, there are other dimensions, there are other worlds, there are other beings, there are, there are multiple Earths, like realities. There, it is so complex with all of the, the whole point is for souls to experience because on the other side, we know it all. We have it all. We experience it all. We 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 are fully aware. We have the full connection to that pure love. But what would a soul do, okay, in a human body, given emotions, given situations? What is this? Is the grand experiment? This is the grand experiment of of us here, and the reason for our incarnations is to hopefully join have that spirit fusion, and that is what's happening. So when somebody says that they have awakened, what happens is that they've either had either a trauma or a drama event or a life, oftentimes an NDE or some other traumatic event that instantaneously shakes up the individual that forces a connection, a spontaneous connection with the spirit. Uh, maybe a, a, a blissful moment of clarity, understanding, wow, there's something more. I felt that, but I don't know what it is. And so we're constantly trying to get back to it. So yes, we are souls here. It is more real there. And the reason that it is more real there is because our finite bodies are that. They're finite. Our, my body will end. But what is inside of me, my consciousness that will retain every bit of knowledge and experience that I'm having. It's like a download, like a computer downloading and remembering every single experience so that I can apply my soul's learning. We are here as souls to be soul-like, to to infuse what we know on the other side and bring it into full being, to bring heaven on earth. But most people have hellish experiences because we are not taught this because one of the, I was told and, and, and finally understood that the great mystery 
of earth that makes us so unique from other systems is that of free will and choice. And being born into this, we have to choose spirit fusion. But we have an extra dilemma because if we are fully aware and remember that we are spirit, that's, there's, there's no quote unquote, there's no fun in that <laughs> because you already know the game. Okay. So then you come in not knowing. And the challenge is to remember. The challenge is to hold it. But we don't until we do. Oh and my now goodness. we are. We are. We are. That's the difference. Mm-hmm. We're beginning to wake up. We are beginning to wake up. So when we say if someone has awakened, they have awakened to the sensations of the spirit inside of them. And that is what I call the God spark. Every single one of us is born with a spark of God that emanates inside of us. And that is the part that wants to fuse with us. That is spirit fusion. If we can connect to that God spark within fully fuse with it and become embodied with it and act from that place, we'd have an entirely different world. And that is the point. That is where we're headed. That is why I returned. That is why I choose to come back. That is why I did not stay on the other side. And so that I could have the hardship of understanding that so that I can overcome all of the life challenges so that I could help bring this message. Thank you for coming wow. back. <laughs> Thank you. I hated it when I was first here, honestly. I thought it was a curse. <laughs> I guess that, that, that goes to the other thing. But when I came back, I hated it. I, I think people thought it was postpartum depression. But I knew that it wasn't. I just wanted to go home. I had such a longing. And I hated the choice that I made. I was so angry with myself for a while. And I didn't really like, is it real? Did it happen? Is this really happening? And so questioning my entire experience, my sense of reality, you know, and then trying to get a sense and and grounding back into the real world, quote unquote, and all of the challenges that came with that. And I did not want to be here. And even after I did come back. And finally, I think after three years, after seeing the fourth doctor saying, you know, you're just a busy mom and, you know, you have a busy life here, take this antidepressant. And I just knew something was wrong. So instead of going down that route, I just had to pay attention of when do I feel better, which began the journey three years. It started early on. It started instantaneously, but I put very conscious effort into my healing because I, I, I thought I was going crazy. And so I do want to say at this point that I, in my family, I do have history of, of mental disease. My mother's brother, my beautiful uncle, Leroy, um, is diagnosed schizophrenic. But I know this to be true, that people who have that quote-unquote ailment or dis-ease is that they're the, the faculty within our brain that allows us to perceive our reality in this material world doesn't quite didn't quite get right with with them and what I know to be true because my uncle can sense and feel dimensions and energies when they say that they're hearing voices because they have access to that world that is right here embedded with us they do not have that filter that exists with the rest of us I knew 
to be careful of who I spoke to about my experiences because I too would have been diagnosed and I too would have been given medications when that is not my diagnosis. I would, I thought I was going crazy and I had to understand. And so in that moment, I made the decision to finally connect. Up until then, I had been struggling with it on my own, trying to read books, trying to seek the professionals that we know. And in that moment, I stopped all of that effort, the human effort that I knew, you know, all the, all the human trials. And instead, I shifted and I prayed and I felt a presence of a guide, a guidance, a guiding force that would guide me and lead me. I began to feel synchronicities. I began to felt the things change in my life. And then things started to work. But it was hard-earned and it was not easy. So I understand, yeah. absolutely understand why you would have, in a way, waited 21 years before going fully public with this story because there's been so much to integrate and with the history in your family, as you've so candidly shared with us, that would have been a factor, as you've said, that would make you be guarded. And Absolutely. I think there's there's research that shows that any NDE takes a minimum, I think it's, a, oh, you'll probably know this, Maria Lupita, but I think it's an average of seven years. It's many years anyway, before they tell a soul. Wow. You know, I did not know that. I, the interesting thing with me, and, and I've discovered this, and I think that this is what has helped my learning and my growing, is that I started off with seeking, but it did not help me by trying to find the answers outside. It only made matters worse. So in that moment when I made that prayer and I asked, I said, okay, if I'm going to do this and you cannot take it away, then I, 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 I prayed out of anger, honestly, because it was, if you promised me that I was going to have help, you said it was going to be okay. And why isn't it happening? And I heard a booming voice in my head because you have not asked and you have not allowed. And I was shaken to my core. And I understood in that moment that my path was to be entirely different. And so it began this trust with this inner voice, this inner knowledge, this inner guidance that from the inside. And so I stopped seeking. And to be honest with you, uh, Karina, I, I, I don't know the statistics. I, I don't watch NDE videos. I do not watch others because in the beginning, it would rebound on me. And then I would get in my head and, and it would it would confuse me. So instead, I would, I would go, I, this still happens to this day. I go inward. I feel it and I sense it. I get the knowledge and the information. I, I it, it, it comes in oftentimes through my own channeling. Um, oftentimes I write and I literally channel now. I can channel, record it, audio record it, and knowledge and wisdom conveyed and pure streams of consciousness. And then it'll sit with me. I'll let it acclimate and simmer. And then later, days later, sometimes years later, I'll get what I call the validation. So I get the experience first, the information first, the wisdom first, and then I'll find something after that will validate it. That will say, oh yeah, well, did you hear about so-and-so? And I'll be like, no, I haven't heard. And so it just, it'll, it is like a validation system that I have built within myself that I will always experience it first. And then they will give me the proof of it, of it after, if that makes sense. 
yes. so that I will never second guess myself and ever think, well, you only know this because you heard it from somebody else. So I'll say something and then only afterwards will, will it come through another stream or another way. And that is how I know it to be truth. And that, again, also was a hard-earned system because I didn't have a, a good experience when I first was learning. Yeah. All right. Well, what I think we're going to do is there's so much to explore and we're now at the point where we're ready to hear about how you began to awaken to your gifts as a psychic, as a medium, as somebody who could channel and how you incorporated all of all of that into your life mm-hmm. and brought it into healing. And I really want to talk about healing. I love what you said about how when we heal now, we heal across all lifetimes. And I'd love to mm-hmm. hear more about that. I think today we'll leave it here and then come back next time to hear about everything that your life became post-near-death experience. But one thing I'd like to just uh, go back to is something that you said. You called it life, the grand experiment. Who do you think mm. is, is orchestrating the grand experiment? Oh, I love this question because it is so deep and so complex because the conspiracy theorists will say that it's conspiracy. The uh, the evangelists will say that it's about evangelical stuff, that the cosmos and the astronomers will say that it's that, but it is indeed absolutely all of it, all of it. So we are a grand experiment that was created not only by ourselves, but also by others. And so it is... Um, it's a complex system of other, okay, let's definitely get into it. So let's paradigm shift. Okay. Okay. So because we can imagine that there are other complex beings and systems around the, the, again, the omniverse, multiverses and universes, we are a grand structure within a bigger, 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 grander structure. So we are like a, an experiment that has been happening within eons of time. We that, but it's in the in the course of eternity. It's but a but a moment. So um, I'll, I'll share this experience, and this is probably going to be able to bring it into full circle. I had an experience much, much later on um, that I was able to be shown that there was a coming of the earth into her wholeness, not only taking her rightful place within the universe, but coming out of a kind of quarantine. So again, conspiracy theorists and ancient aliens and all of these things, it all is indeed part of it, that we are a species that is been by design, that we are a species that has been so hominids, multiple species of hominids upon the planet, you know, that have grown over time. And again, because there was an experiment of wanting to create a biological being capable of spirit fusion. So we have been created humans, okay, over eons, and it is part of so God allowing all of this with the multiple beings within the systems to create it. So we are genetically 
created. Now, people out there with a the big bang and they're going to say, well, I thought you were religious. How could you say that this happens? Well, it all is part of it. People cannot, if we can open and expand our minds even just more to understand that there are divine beings that have been an assistance of humanity since its inception and literally our inception in the hopes of us becoming evolved enough for the ability to hold spirit and then choose spirit fusion through free will and choice. So we are, there's been systems and upon systems of genetic contribution that makes us what we are. I, I pray that that makes sense, and I, I hope that that will begin to open up something. But in there, it is God because of spirit fusion. It is the creatures that create, you know, beings. It is, you know, all of the solar system. So it is astrological as well. It is biological because of the nature systems. So all of these inter-systems work together in a grand, massive system within systems that are allowing all of this to come into play. Now, what is the grand experiment? Again, a biological being capable of, of merging with a spirit in the hopes. So what does spirit fusion look like? We know those people who have fused with their spirit because of how they behave in the world. It's how they appear in the world, the service that they do, the light that they carry, the works that they do, the, the uplifting that they have. When and It could be someone on the street who is homeless that is able to have this and serves as a beacon and an anchor of light upon the planet that goes invisible to the rest of us. You know, that that is what every single human is here to experience. And this is what karma and dharma and reincarnation is about. So what's happened is that we have a whole phylum of souls that are here assigned to the earth plane with the ability to come incarnate, to have the spirit come into the physical form and then have these experiences creating imbalance in life because when the basic way to put this is that if I'm a murderer in one life, I'm going to come in and be murdered in another so that I can experience the balance of that experience. Okay, so it's about balance, karma, yes. dharma. But what has happened is all of our souls have become trapped in that system. And so we're trying to get out of it through this awareness, through understanding the spirituality. And that is why all of this awakening and spirituality and the NDEs and all of this is happening on the planet at this time. Thank you. Thank you so much. You've answered my question and obviously sparked a million more, <laughs> but they will have to hold. Uh, so what I'm, I guess one way to, to possibly sum up all that you've just told us is that it is a, a monumental act of co-creation and that as human beings with the God spark, we are made in the image of the creator in that we can create. And so we're creating. That is absolutely it. We are here to create. We are here to bring that heaven on earth, to create that experience of the other side and to bring that here. And that is the beauty of it, that after all of my experience, and maybe this is a beautiful way of, if we are towards the end is to say that what led to my near-death experience is not wanting to live. 
what came out of my near-death experiences, not wanting to, not knowing how to acclimate and then having difficulty through it and then really resenting it and being angry only to finally come to the place where we all eventually are meant to. Oh my God, I love being here. I, I am so thankful that I am here. I I love the work that I do. I could not imagine myself not being here. I am so excited for what is yet to come, even through all of this darkness that is coming with it equally as light. And so I love being here. I love being this soul in this body at this time, having this beautiful conversation with you, Karina, so that we can touch lives upon the planet and uplift the world. I love being here. And I love that note to end this part one of our conversation today. Thank you, Maria Lupita. What an amazing woman you are and so generously sharing your story to touch other lives, to bless other lives. And I'm honoured to play a part in that. And I'm very excited to pick up our conversation again next week, hopefully to then learn the postscript of your NDE, which is this beautifully evolving story. So thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you, Karina. Many blessings to you. And this is divinely ordained indeed. I thank you from the bottom of my heart with my wholeness. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Spirit Sisters, the podcast, based on my best-selling book of the same name. I really hope you enjoyed this episode and will join me again next time for another intriguing conversation exploring mysteries and marvels. In the meantime, please subscribe so that you won't miss an episode. I also welcome your feedback, so please message me through my website, karinamachado.com, or find me on Facebook at Karina Machado Author. Perhaps you have your own encounter to share. If so, I'd love to hear it. After all, there's nothing more powerful than a story. Thank you.